Welcome to the Tim Graham Show, November 7th, 2018, Year of Our Lord edition. The Tim Graham Show is brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555. Visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. Joined here in studio, as usual, by the big crooked. Crooked Rodak. Mike Rodak of ESPN.com, Jonah Bronstein of the Buffalo News, and several other publications. Do we want to list them off? Do we have enough time? Want. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> what, what else? What we? Who should we give credit we to? Probably mention the Niagara Gazette, since our sponsor, Viola Cummings and Lindsay, is based in Niagara Falls. <laughs> sure. That's two. Which is where I've worked the longest. I used to work there full-time, sports editor, and now I cover mostly UB, but college sports for them. And then Associated Press, Bills and Sabres. Right. Uh, something that came from the sports exchange. I used to write from the sports exchange. It's splintered off, and I still do a little bit of work for them. Is it and now called The Maven? No, no, no. I don't do The Maven. Oh. The Maven is one of the other splinters. There you go. And, and random things. You know, I'm covering the Randy Lee trial for the Ottawa Sun Friday. Things like that. Randy Hamburg Lee, Sun, the, I still uh, write for them, too. Former Senator's assistant general manager who was uh, arrested at the NHL scouting combine here in Buffalo for doing some strange things to a uh, or with or what I was think the actual two is charge? probably I don't think it was with with implies that there was consent, which I don't think there was. Oh, are we a legal professional now? Well, we do have a legal team sponsoring us. I Viola, knew that was coming. Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys, on Twitter at VCL Niagara. Okay, why do you insist on derailing the show? I'm not derailing it. I'm just simply saying that if if you want to talk about Randy Lee, I, I think it was on a a hotel shuttle, and he Mike inappropriately. Mike, a guy who covers it is standing five feet away from us. I don't need you to tell me what the Randy Lee case is about. He maybe, just explained that he's covering it. Maybe so can he we should tell us some more about it? Jesus. Yeah, I don't know. I would term it as what's that football penalty? Illegal touching. That seems to be what he's accused of. The trial's really going to come down to whether what he's accused of doing, if they can prove it. Well, there's been preliminary hearings. Meets the grounds for harassment. Because, you know, technically harassment kind of involves maybe a little bit more violence, a little bit more aggressive behavior than rubbing shoulders. That could be considered. And when you say rubbing shoulders, you don't mean networking. It was actually like hands on shoulders. Yeah, that's what he's accused of. Make sure that people understand we're not talking in metaphors there or. Right, yeah. Figuratively. Repeatedly rubbing shoulders, doing it after being asked to stop in a car. Telling the guy to look at his crotch. That hasn't come out in the, uh, oh, it the hasn't? court statements. Oh, it hasn't? But, uh, you know, that's Am I talking thing. about things uh, you know, that I've heard? Uh, I think you know, the hey, DA look mentioned at what, something about that. Look at what you do to me. <laughs> I'm not telling lies. I'm just maybe saying not things that lies, aren't think, in court documents. I think you've heard some things that haven't been said in open court, which yeah. is really what okay. I've covered. Okay, I see. I do have but sources. the trial's Friday. That could come out Friday. A lot of things. There could be more that happened in that vehicle. Because from what we understand, there's no video, which might make it also hard to prove and hard to convict them of what's really just a violation. So but they, it's an interesting case. A very embarrassing it. violation that eventually led to Randy Lee's ouster. He is now no Correct. longer with the Ottawa Senators after the team was going to back him. He resigned. And as things uh, started to unfold decided to part ways. So that was the big but you know, scandal in, from the NHL scouting. Interesting connections in with uh, the hotel being owned by, you know, the Jacobs family, the restaurant 716 being owned by the Pagulas, NHL owners. And I don't think that's just a coincidence. That might come into this 
legal case or future civil legal cases in the future. Right. And isn't it kind of ironic that the senators keep getting caught in this stuff? I mean, this guy can't get a video taken of him, and then the other guys that are yeah. bashing their team. Ottawa Senators video. players in, you know? an, in an Uber were videotaped. The more important video was lost, In apparently. which they're just ripping the assistant coach uh, who handles special teams uh, it, for being awful on the penalty kill, awful on the power play. The players have tuned him out. Yeah, that's a fun story. And now uh, the Senators uh, are trying to get that video taken off the Internet, that it's uh, copyright or whatever it is. But, yeah, the Ottawa Senators right. are And unrelated, but trouble. it's another, the Randy Lee situation and this embarrassing situations for the Senators. Losing 9-2 to two in Buffalo was probably just as embarrassing. But then came back and didn't they win the game or they won the game before? They won the game before, Ottawa. right. All yeah. right. So we have a lot going on with the Buffalo Bills. Uh, a guest that we will not have on the show today, LaShawn McCoy, he's not talking to uh, reporters, hasn't since after the Patriots uh, came to Buffalo and beat the Bills on Monday Night Football. He spoke after that game, was incredibly agitated, um, unlike I've ever seen him before. Even afterwards, after the scrum uh, with the media, I saw him and he was still agitated. I'm guessing mm-hmm. 10, 15 minutes later and... I didn't have my recorder out, and he was waiting to take an elevator from uh, the locker room area outside the tunnel up to where the players meet and congregate with their families. And and he just was pacing and beside himself. And uh, I said, hey, LaShawn, you all right? And I was just asking, you know, he and I get along pretty well. And uh, I was just asking as, you know, just as a, as a guy, not as a reporter. And he looked at me as though he was ready to cr- just climb out of his own skin and uh, waited for the elevator for another 10, 15 seconds and then stormed off to the stairs to take the stairs up. I mean, he was just said nothing, didn't want us, to, not even to teammates. And it's not like it was just the two of us. I mean, there was security there and other players and family members, and he just was, he was steaming. And uh, he obviously hasn't really settled down. He hasn't spoken to the media, didn't all last week. Now, wow, Big Crooked here is the chapter president uh, for Buffalo, for the Pro Football Writers Association. And and I, I want to open the phone lines for this, too, because I know that this is uh, an issue that fans uh, sometimes like to talk about. Uh, it's one of those tricky situations that it's uh, for the media to complain about access because, I th- you know, fans, uh, readers, listeners, viewers, whatever it is, there are things that I've learned over the years you don't complain about, <laughs> you know, uh, people generally are not going to have sympathy for a reporter when he bitches, for instance, about uh, air travel delays or the fact that his hotel room doesn't have a desk in it. Um, toaster. His, his seat in the press box. Yeah, whether or not there's a toaster for his bagels uh, in the press box. Um, dealing with stadium security to try to get in. You know, oh, I have to wait for them to search my bag. And, you know, reporters have a tendency to bitch about a lot of stupid things that people look at and say, I would give anything to be able to get paid to do what you do for a living, and here you are bitching about it. Uh, really, the only people who care to hear us bitch are each other about these things. It's generally something that should be done over a beer and in private, not on social media. Uh, but we have the situation here where LaShawn McCoy has not talking to the media, Uh, But it should be explained that it's in the collective bargaining agreement between the players and the union that there are certain rules in which players have to speak to the media. And at minimum, once a week during the week, always after a game, 
But a team is allowed, and correct me, Mike, if I'm wrong, is somebody who you know used to be pretty, uh, I used to know the policy backward and front. A team is allowed to have only two players on the entire roster who speak once a week. Everybody else has to be available every day. Generally, who that is is a quarterback because of their obligations uh, and somebody else. Now, there have been exceptions. Ryan Fitzpatrick, for instance, was not a once-a-week guy. You can get Ryan Fitzpatrick every day at his locker because he was okay with that. So that would have allowed the Bills to have two other players be once-a-week. LaShawn McCoy has always been a once-a-week guy. And from what I understand around the league, it's getting more and more uh, liberal where teams now have five and six guys who talk once a week. But anyway, we're talking about LaShawn McCoy and his decision not to talk again today. Uh, Mike, you were in the locker room today. Uh, you've been talking with the Bills and uh, and with the Pro Football Writers Association. What's your take? Oh, let me open the phone lines. Uh, 270-1270. So if you want to queue up and call, you, want, you have an opinion as to whether or not LaShawn McCoy owes the media or... Uh, by extension, the fans' explanations on why he's averaging a yard per carry over the last three or four games. Um, if he is should be allowed to be uh, to not talk to the reporters forever, if he so chooses, let us know what you think on this. Seven one six two seventy twelve seventy. But at least Mike and Jonah and I will be able to explain what the rules say. Correct. The rules do say that, and I'm reading directly from the policy, players must be available to the media following every game and regularly during the practice week as required under league rules and their contracts. It is not permissible for any player or any group of players to boycott the media, which is essentially what LaShawn McCoy is doing. However, boycott might be a strong word because I don't necessarily sense that it's about the media. I don't think that this is some... um, slight that he's felt or, he doesn't or, feel angry towards us i don't I think I he don't just sensed it I, yeah it's like almost like he doesn't i don't want to put words in his mouth but just and this is all because right. he hasn't spoken right the sense i get is that because he was so infuriated after that patriots game that maybe there's a part of him that says uh, i don't know if i can help myself like i don't right. want to say something i'm going to regret right there there just seems to be a general Frustration, I know, is like an overused word with him, and I think he's sensitive about that word itself because it, to him, it made it seem like he's unhappy here, which he said he's not. I know there's also a line of thinking that part of this might be because he wasn't traded at the deadline and he's upset about that and doesn't want to say that publicly. I'm not ruling that out. Sean McDermott was asked about that today, and he didn't rule it out. He just said, I'll keep those conversations between me and LaShawn, but my sense is that he's just simply not happy with how he's playing. He's a very – he cares about his stats. He cares about his performance in a way that I think is a little bit higher than most players. You know, He always talks about the Hall of Fame. He talks about 12,000 yards. He's, he's motivated by a lot of those things. And the fact that he's not getting there or there's this sort of looming, lingering concern that maybe he's declining or – I don't want to say he's done, but, you know, that he's on the back nine or the back three or the back one, like that I think plays into his mind. I think there's like a a real angst um, from him. But as Tim said, we don't know for sure because he hasn't spoken. And we have to guess. Right, and nobody else has spoken for him about that. Um, 
But Jonah, let's get. I just want to get Jonah's take on this. Well, for, I have a question the, from Mike. That's also my theory, and it's not a really an informed theory, but it's what I sense is going on here. Mike, what do you think are the chances that this is an issue between LaShawn and Sean McDermott? That he spoke last Monday night, there was a conversation between the two of them from what he said or maybe his body language and the way he was in that press conference, and now he's not talking because of that reaction. I, I don't get the sense that is the case because there has been a – a uh, visible effort, I would say, from the public relations department to attempt to get him for us. Yeah, the Bills are not shielding LaShawn McCoy. They right. would like for, and this has been expressed to us by their media relations people, they would prefer LaShawn McCoy to speak with us. And they've tried to talk to him from what we understand. We haven't actually seen him be talked to we by have. the Bills. Today that happened. Well, a little bit. It was... No, it was out outside after so essentially let me recap what yeah, happened today. I think that's probably the best way to do it because we were there, people weren't. Big crooked I Mike Rodak. There. I was there, I saw some of it. I didn't right. see all of it. I was I had an interview with Kyle Williams that lasted right. a bit. So there were some things I saw, some things I didn't. So he he spoke Monday night at the Patriots game. He normally holds a press conference on Wednesdays, which he did not do last week. We approached him Thursday in the locker room last week. He said, I ain't doing bleep today. And it, again, it wasn't didn't seem to be directed towards us. It's just general frustration. Uh, we waited for him on Friday. He did not show up, and then at that point, it was expressed to us that the Bills, as an organization, as a media relations department, were also trying to get to the same goal that we were. They were trying to get him to talk. They had a conversation with him, and it, it wasn't fruitful. So then you get to Sunday. There's the game. And we get into the locker room 10 minutes after the game, which is the rule. And as we are getting in there, LaShawn McCoy is leaving. Um, and there was basically zero opportunity for us to approach him and to talk to him, which is rare. Usually when you get in there, he's actually one of the, the last guys out. Uh, he takes a while. And LaShawn McCoy, after a game, also should be known or stated, he generally goes to the podium. He- yeah. To the lectern and talks at, after home games. After home games where after he does wins. well. Yeah. I mean, it hasn't happened this year. Um, it happened a few times last year. I, I think it's trending right. less so, in that right. direction. So neither here nor there. Right. I, I don't want to muddy The last year, most every home game. Yeah, because he was playing pretty well, uh, especially later in the year last year. But so he doesn't talk um, on Sunday, which really, you know, we're getting to the breaking point here uh, of him needing to, to do it. And that brings us to Wednesday, which, again, is usually the day when he goes. He did not go to the podium. And so he was approached in a locker room at the same time by two different reporters and essentially asked him, hey, are you willing to talk? He says, no, I'm going to go lift weights. So, you know, I'll try to get you after. Or I guess he was asked, like, are you able to talk after? And he said something. I don't want to misquote him. And essentially was asked, like, well, are, are you trying to duck us? And he said, no, uh, I'm not trying to duck you all. Uh, I'm just trying to get myself right, I think was the, the quote that he gave. So he goes off and lifts weight. At that point, the media relations staff were essentially waiting for him. We have people staked out in different in the field house, outside the weight room, in the locker room, waiting for him to catch With him. help from the media relations right. people telling us where to stake him out. Right. Again, they're With not assistance. trying to hide the guy. Yes, it, it was not that sort of deal. Um, so he does come out eventually. There is a conversation between him and media relations. There was a plan at that point for him to speak in the locker room. So we all gathered around his locker. We see him entering the locker room. 
he sees the group of 15, you know, 20 people around his locker with eight or nine TV cameras and, and he has cold feet and he starts walking away and, and says he's not doing it. And at that point, you know, media relations essentially says, Hey, we, we tried, you know, we can't force him to do it. Um, so we've reached a point where there does need to be some action with the league simply, if nothing else, to uphold the policy, but also, um, you know, that's you don't want it to become something regular. You don't want it to be something where he's not talking every week for the rest of the year. Or other teammates start doing the same thing. Uh, the policy is in place for a reason. The league has this agreement with the PFWA, the Pro Football Writers Association, for a reason. Uh, and I know some people might think, oh, it's it's inside baseball. You know, we don't care that he's not talking. Look, I mean, there's – you have a guy like Nathan Peterman who just just a hell of a career so far for him, and he's still standing up there after every game answering questions. You have pl- other players who have not played well, obviously frustrated, who have answered questions and, and stood up. You have team captains like Lorenzo Alexander who will never turn down an interview. McCoy's a captain. And that's that's what I'm getting to. LaShawn McCoy, for the first time this season, is a captain. So the fact that he's not willing to stand up and speak about his performance. Now, granted, he was doing that throughout the first seven or eight weeks of the year. It's just that's obviously a problem that, that – um, should be addressed. All right, phone lines are open. I'd like to hear from uh, from the listeners here. Let us uh, let us know what your thoughts are on this. Does LaShawn McCoy, as a captain, as one of the highest paid players on this team, as the the lone superstar on this team, really the only guy that uh, in any other market they're going to know who he is? As much as we love Kyle Williams, I'm guessing there is a large uh, chunk of fans in Phoenix or Kansas City or in Seattle who have no idea who Kyle Williams of the Buffalo Bills is, but they do know who LaShawn McCoy is. Does LaShawn McCoy, captain, a leader voted on by his fellow teammates, does he owe the media slash the fans any words of explanation on his season, on the Bills' season, on the woes of the offense? Uh, 24 carries for 24 yards over his last three games. Uh, Granted, maybe not all his fault. In fact, it's definitely not all his fault. It's never all anybody's fault when you're talking about a sport where there are 10 other guys on the field. Um, But I'd like to hear uh, what the fans think uh, regarding whether or not a player owes us anything. Uh, On the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys, call 285-9555. Visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. This is the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. The Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. You're a young athlete. You're brimming with confidence. You're, I don't know if you're single or not. Are you single? The Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. And on the Fans app. Free to download in the App Store. If you've been injured by the negligence of others, call the lawyers of Viola Cummings and Lindsay to represent you in a personal injury or workers' compensation matter. At Viola Cummings and Lindsay, we can help you pick up the pieces and get the benefits you deserve. Call 285-9555 on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. 
Viola Cummings and Lindsay, attorneys at law, with three locations to serve you in Niagara Falls, Lockport, and Williamsville. Call today for a free consultation. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270 Fan. The Tim Graham Show is brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285 9555. Visit them on the web at violacummingsandlindsay.com. Phone lines are open if you want to talk Bills, Sabres, UB. Two big wins yesterday. Doubleheader. Basketball and foosball. Yep. Basketball opened up. Football, 9-1 and for the first time Crushing. Ever. Kent Reed, Kent Wright, Kent State. Yeah, Kent Reed, Kent Wright. I can't get here in a snowstorm a couple years ago. UB fans won't let them forget that. My brother and sister both graduated from Kent State. I took a semester at Kent State. That was uh, I worked at the paper. Uh, my first job out of college was the paper in Kent. Hmm. That uh, the student paper or the no the local the, paper, the local paper. covering oh, high schools. College. I did some Kent State stuff. We had a guy on our staff who was like the Mister Kent State. Had been there for fifty years or whatever. Hmm. Harry Devault, his weekly column, Devault's Diggings, always got to the bottom of whatever was going on at Kent State University in the sports department. Is he still writing? I don't know if he's still alive. Well, back to UB because I have a little bit of a take here. I don't know. It was just I was there yesterday. The basketball team. This wasn't a big game. They played St. Francis, PA. It was their first home game since their best season ever and the best local college basketball season in at least forty years. Following your Twitter account, it seemed like it was a pretty close game into the it second half. It was close in the first half. It, they pulled away late in the first half and never really were threatened in the second half. But UB didn't shoot well, so they never really put it on them. They dominated the game, but missed a lot of threes. In fact, it was a worse three-point shooting game than any game they had last year. But In terms of percentage? The crowd was 1,800. You go to the football game, they announced 15,000. It wasn't much more than 1,800, especially as the game wore on. Now, it was bad weather, Tuesday night, election night. Those are factors. But it just seems, I don't know what the word is, weird, maybe nihilistic to look at this UB season. It's the best team they've ever had. It's the best era of basketball they've ever had. Your it's coverage w- is the best in the business. <laughs> so I've heard. It's the best. It's one of the best. And I wasn't around in the 50s. But it's one of the best eras for college sports in Western New York with combined multiple teams ever. And We have too many inside I don't want to say nobody cares, but it's kind of being overlooked. The Bills are having one of their worst seasons ever. Still selling out. Still got everybody there paying attention and waiting with bated breath for Josh Allen's going to play. Is LaShawn McCoy going to talk? What's going to happen next? Are they going to make a trade? Do you feel, though, Jonah, that more people are talking about it at least? That something's being built? A little bit. I think it's getting a little bit more media coverage because of the success. But I don't see – the people that are there are the people that have always been there. And the people that are paying attention, the people that retweet me and engage with me on Twitter are the UB fans that have been UB fans for a while. I'm not seeing a groundswell of support. And usually with basketball, this happens Has the media on Selection coverage, Sunday. What about the media coverage, though? And I know that the Buffalo News doesn't cover it as well or as... Well, I, I wouldn't say I don't that. want to say well. I they don't cover it as much they as they used to. They don't have as many people covering it. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. Um, but I think I get a sense overall that Channels 247, WGR, you will hear... They have UB guests. They do UB coverage maybe more than ever before. I think there's a little bit more coverage because they're so good. Yeah, I do. But I don't know if that's translated much into the area really getting behind them and really caring 
And the thing is, they like that UB, the fans, I think, like seeing that UB's good, but they really don't care to watch them beat Kent State and these other MAC teams and win the MAC. They really only get tuned in when it's, oh, they're up against a big time team. And they didn't really have that now, on the schedule. Now, Tuesday night's this year. good for money for the conference. Right. I understand why Maction is on Tuesday nights on ESPN2. Great platform. You get national exposure, yeah, recruiting, it's you big. You get it's money. Big. Uh, but Tuesday, like for instance, my initial thought on these Tuesday games is because Tuesday is generally a slow day for me work-wise that I think, oh, I'll take my son to the game. And then I stop and think, well, no, I can't because it's school night. And so UB has has marketed itself as a place where you can take the family, you can take the kids, uh, make it a, you know, bring everybody down and we'll have a little concert and picnics and uh, bounce houses and what all this other stuff. But But they don't do that for these Tuesday games. You can't. Right, they've because lost they, that crowd for these games, and the students aren't turning out for the midweek games like they do for a Saturday game. And it's a very nearly empty, atmosphereless stadium for the biggest games of the year for this team. Senior night. This is the last game. You, you don't get to go see them play at home again. They're not going to have a home bowl game. They're not going to have a home postseason game. It's They're done for the year. Yeah, that's that's a shame. Yeah, St. Francis isn't a huge draw either, but just the idea of the doubleheader, uh, I thought – uh, I wonder if it would have been different if it was flip-flop. And I know you can't do that because of the game being on ESPN2. That's the game that has to be the late game. Mm-hmm. But in in a doubleheader sense, if they were to do it in the future on a Saturday, you have the idea of, all right, we can go to this game in the afternoon and then go to a nice warm arena. Yeah, it might have been better weather situation. But ESPN controls that. Sure. Like they can't. That's why these games are when they are, because ESPN wants them on in those time slots. Yep, that's why you can't take your families. Uh, all right, big crooked Mike Rodak. Um, big news today coming out of the New York Jets. Sam Darnold is in a walking boot. He's not going to play this weekend. So the Jets are going to have, of course, Josh McCown, the guy who I wanted the Bills to go out and sign as a mentor for whomever they were going to draft. At that time, Josh Allen hadn't been drafted, but you knew the Bills were going to go get a quarterback. And uh, Josh McCown was just that type of guy, much like a Ryan Fitzpatrick, who would know his role as a number two, be able to fill in as a as a starter, uh, be there to help groom this young guy. But uh, I was talking to uh, some members of the Bills today, uh, some players in the locker room, and it was kind of <laughs> the sentiment was the Jets are better with Josh McCown at quarterback because it's the steady hand and you don't have the rookie out there at quarterback. So this news is probably bad news for the Bills. I would agree. And we'll talk to Joel from Las Vegas a little bit later. But when I looked uh, earlier this afternoon, I think right after the news broke at some of the lines, they were around like six and a half in most places. And now some of them have jumped up to seven. One of them's off the board. So it seems like the uh, the Jets starting – Josh McCown has given them a little bit of a bump uh, in terms of some of the lines in Vegas. We'll have to double-check with Joel on that. But, yeah, I would agree. I think there's a better chance for the Jets to win the game with Josh McCown because, as we've seen from Sam Darnold, he's prone to throw some interceptions. I I saw one stat that I'd have to double-check the exact stat, but, you know, as far as rookie quarterbacks go, he's thrown a lot. Um and for the Bills to win with the offense being as it is, they need they need a defensive score, which, might I add, they have yet to do this season. As good as this defense has been, their only points that have not been scored by the offense came on the Colts' safety, which was just a high snap by the Colts right over Andrew Luck's head and into the end zone. Um, 
Lorenzo Alexander tried to recover it. The, the Colts ended up recovering it. Special teams haven't come close either. Not Special that that's the same thing, as but well. just for the record. Right, and I would have to double-check how many teams have yet to score on either offense or, sorry, either on defense or on special teams, and there's very few teams, I believe, who are left that haven't done that. So uh, having Josh McCown obviously decreases your chances of a pick six, as we saw, I think, on Sam Darnold's very first throw this season, that Monday night game against the Lions in week one. His very first throw was a pick six. It would take that sort of effort. Um, and, yeah, I, I think it's it's a harder game for the Bills. And from a fan perspective, it's probably a harder game to watch, too. I mean, I think – if there's any appeal to this game, it would have been Sam Darnold versus Josh Allen. How about Chris Ivory homecoming game? Oh, it's a big one. Revenge game, as they say. That's a big one, Tim. Um, yeah, it's it's not going to be Sam Darnold. And yeah, Josh I, Allen versus Sam Darnold well, was, you know, you're looking at you know a rivalry in the making. So that was about the only thing that was going to get me to go to this game. I'm not even going to go to the game. How about that? I'm going to stay home. This is going to be the first road game I don't attend this season because I have better ways to spend my money and to come up with uh, stories for the athletic. I, I go into the Jets game. Look, we could tell by our traffic that you have to come up with something really special for Bills fans to check in and as long as Josh Allen is not on the field now he I guess theoretically could be on the field on right. Sunday but it sure doesn't look like and it. I think that's that's the important part to note I Josh know Allen versus Sam Darnold I think would have been something that you could write about there's something there and you could but sure. that's that's not going to happen there was there was some fervor I'd say over the last 24 48 hours even today with Sean McDermott talking this morning you see some of the tweets and say, oh well, it seems like Josh Allen's going to play I I would doubt it and I, my biggest piece of evidence so far was after practice today when Josh Allen, yes, he did speak to the media. That is something that normally the starting quarterback does. But he was already in a hoodie and a T-shirt and looked like he had been showered and he shaved and was, you know, he, he was been off the practice field for quite some time by the time that we talked to him. And that was right after practice. That was within – three or four minutes uh, from the time that the, the final horn blew. Meanwhile, you still have Nathan Peterman and Matt Barkley in uniform on the field throwing while Josh Allen is talking. You would think that if Josh Allen's playing, he's probably out there throwing passes to his receivers. A guy like Terrell Pryor, who he's never thrown a pass to before uh, in a game, you'd think that he would still be out there on the field in uniform and doing some things. And, and indeed, that's generally what was the case when he was a starter. Earlier in the year, he was he's out there for 10, 15, 20 minutes after practice throwing some passes, and he wasn't today. So I would I would highly doubt that he plays in this game, and I think it Nathan makes a lot Peterman of sense. Nathan Peterman versus Josh McCown for all the marbles. Yeah, and, and I think you know there's probably an outside chance of Derek Anderson. Obviously, they, they held out hope last week. I think it, it's still a situation where the Bills would probably like to have Derek Anderson out there more than having to trot out Nathan Peterman. Um I think tomorrow is going to have to be a pretty important day for that. If Derek Anderson can be cleared from the concussion protocol, maybe as a shot. Uh, but I mean, it looked like a bad concussion. You know, we saw him in the locker room last week. He wasn't even on the practice field, and just sort of a blank look in his eyes. You almost felt bad for the guy, considering what, what, what do he's you think doing are the chances that ago. at his age, this is a concussion that. Not that you don't come back from, but that you say, hey, you know, I don't want another one of well, these. Well, if he hasn't yet, you know, 
you think it would, would happen right after it happened, uh, the concussion happened. So if he hasn't retired yet, I think he's still going to you know play it out. And he was back on the practice field today, just in a non-contact jersey. He didn't have a helmet. You know, it still looks like he's a little bit of a ways off. Um, yeah, I, I think the if you want to put odds on it, it's like 90, 95% chance that Nathan Peterman's the starter on Sunday against Josh McCown. What do, what do we know about Derek Anderson's concussion history? I don't know. I'll what tell do you, I know? know nothing. I don't either, and that's one of those things that well, we probably like, should have checked by but now. But I think it's my I point read is, a story about it. I think it's different for a 35-year-old that was semi-retired at the start of the season than a 25-year-old. You get one of these and you say, you know, hey, I don't want to go out there again and get another one. So it's time yeah, for me to hang him up. Three young kids, you know, he's accomplished all he's going to accomplish in the league. I don't think he's going to accomplish anything with the Bills this year. He's not making a ton of money. I think it's six or $700,000 when all is said and done this year. Um, in looking at my old injury reports, which I keep a cache of in my emails, the NFL sends out its injury report. I always keep the Friday uh, version of the injury report. Uh, I see a concussion in 2008 and a concussion in 2010, just based on my emails. So those are when he has been uh, in the injury report, as opposed to, I don't know, could be preseason or um, different uh, different times. Maybe you suffer one in practice or whatever. Right. I'm, I'm pretty sure that it was three concussions that downed Kevin Cobb. It was his third concussion in that preseason in, in 2013, and then he was done after that. Tyrod Taylor's had three concussions in the last uh, X number of months. You'd have to go back to you know whatever it was when he had his, his one earlier this year. I mean, he's had a lot himself. So, um, yeah, it's I, I think people would look more into that situation if, if Derek Anderson was had any sort of longevity in Buffalo. I think he's obviously a a mercenary almost. You can go out there and take some hits and throw some pick sixes and keep the the job warm and keep Nathan Peterman out of the lineup. That's and the walkthroughs. Yeah, that was the other thing. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that um, because Josh Allen said. He was asked today what uh, what he's learned from Derek Anderson, and one of them was uh, you, you can do something with walkthroughs. I, I should get the exact quote for I'm not misquoting Josh Allen. Um, but well, While you're looking that up, that was the first thing Sean McDermott mentioned about him when Derek Anderson joined the scene. They're like, oh, we can really learn. Our young quarterbacks can really learn from how Derek Anderson handles these walkthroughs. So, yeah, Josh Allen was asked about that. With both Derek Anderson, but I'll and- tell you this too. I mean, real quick before you give the walkthrough quote. I mean, it may sound ridiculous, but when I was doing the story earlier in the year, when uh, I did a story about what it's like to go up against your hero or a guy that you really look up to, and it was Josh Allen's go- uh, game at Lambeau Field against Aaron Rodgers, and I interviewed a bunch of guys, uh, including Archie Manning and uh, oh hell, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Joe Ferguson, I interviewed, but some other guys who face legends within their first couple of games in the NFL. So it's not just guys who were um, veterans who would have something to say, uh, but guys who actually went through this and um, good quarterbacks. And they're th- they to a man, they all said uh, it's watching how they warm up. It's what it's observing. This is how a, the, a guy really prepares for a game. And there are things that you can learn from it. Uh, Trent Dofer was another one who I interviewed. I'm trying to think of and. Trent Dilfer said he made a mistake because he went in there thinking, I don't need, I'm here to show that I belong in the NFL versus some of the other guys that's, and then he said it, he regretted that he didn't treat it. Uh, so I guess you can't. I'm can sure there's validity, but it sounds funny. It sure does. It sure sounds like, wow, you're really so 
<laughs> you're right. You're... How bad were these walkthroughs before? <laughs> right. Well, that's what he implied. The question was, are there any things that you've pulled from Derek Anderson specifically to just incorporate that into the way you prepare moving forward? And Allen said, just kind of how he controls the walkthrough. I never saw walkthrough as a chance to really get better. He came in here, and as soon as he took over that walkthrough, he was demanding the guys to be in the right spot. He was firing the ball where it needed to go. I took that and thought, this guy's a pro. He knows what he's doing. I've kind of applied that to whenever I get to go through the walkthrough next. That's how I'm going to approach it, which when I stood there was a red flag to me that if he's not going through the walkthrough, if he's Josh Allen saying the next time I get to go through the walkthrough, as in he hasn't done it yet since he's been hurt, uh, to me, that was a red flag that, well, if he's not in the walkthrough this week, then he's not playing. I mean, right. if, seems if Josh to be... Allen was in the game plan for this week, wouldn't Matt Barkley be off the team when they use his roster spot? With all the, they made a few moves this week. Yeah, I, I think they would. I think that's a pretty strong indicator that he's not going to play. All right, I had to do this just for my own mental well-being. So Archie Manning, who I interviewed, he went up against uh, Roman Gabriel and Johnny Unitas within his first couple of games. Uh, Trent Dilfer's uh, debut, his first start, I believe, uh, was against uh, Steve Young. Uh, and when I say I believe, and then uh, Steve Berline, his sixth start was, and he, Steve Berline went to Notre Dame, but had never met him yet. But his sixth start was against Joe Montana. So that was kind of a, that was the gist of that story. And then Joe Ferguson also faced Unitas and a bunch of guys like that. Apropos of nothing other than what we, we're talking about before. There are nine teams in the NFL which have not scored. No, I'm sorry. Archie Manning, Roman Gabriel in his debut, and right. then Bart Starr. Ooh. And then it was Joe Ferguson who had Johnny Unitas. Am not I? Bad. Okay, I'm sorry, Mike. Is this a dumb thing to say? I've never heard of Roman Gabriel. Well, Roman Gabriel is one of those guys. He was a former MVP. Um, he was Old a. School. He's like Hall of Very Good, but some people think that he sh- he is a fringe Hall of Fame candidate what era 70s 60s and 70s there are nine teams that have not scored a non-offensive touchdown this season none of them have winning records sounds about right so as much as we want to harp on the bill's offense and god i mean they deserve it you look at their eight touchdowns the other nine teams in terms of Total touchdowns have 27 Falcons, 15 Cowboys, 27 Colts, uh, 14 Giants, 23 Seahawks, 24 by the Ravens, 22 by the Browns, 20 by the Eagles. Bills are sitting down there with eight offensive touchdowns, so clearly that's a big problem. However, we shouldn't totally let the, the defense off the hook because they're not creating points themselves. And, in fact, that's what Lorenzo <laughs> Alexander said after the game. He said, you know, we – we got to do that. We got to be able to actually get on the scoreboard ourselves um, because a lot of other teams are. There's... That's quite an ask. In the Football Outsiders DVOA, they're the number two defense in the league. And I was saying, you know what? You're not playing enough offense, def- defense guys. Well, you got to score. You got to score the points and stop the other team from scoring the points. There's a lot of teams, a lot of defenses that have scored points. So I mean, it it takes getting a ball out or intercepting a pass or something. And the problem is is part of that is offenses will play conservative against the Bills. The Bears in the second half on Sunday were up by 30 points. They're not going to take chances. So part of that's because the offenses aren't stressed. All right, there's more of this when we come back. We'll talk about the state of the Bills, what you can learn by watching uh, somebody go through a walkthrough in any line of work. Radio. Radio. 
let's what you can learn by watching Mike Rodak write. By watching Jonah Bronstein drink. <laughs> On the Best Tim Graham the Show. Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. The Tim Graham Show is brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555 or on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. Mike Rodak, jot down that number, put it in your phone because you're about to get uh, personal injury for doing mouth noises into the mic on purpose. Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. The Tim Graham Show. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Bobby Rosati, our producer extraordinaire, bringing us back with some American woman by the Guess Who. Ooh. Canadian Good stuff. icon, the Guess Who. Mike Rodak of ESPN.com, he's here, as is Jonah Bronstein of the Buffalo News, the Niagara Gazette, uh, the Associated Press. Got quite a resume. He's a hustler. <laughs> He's shooting this thing for uh, Periscope. We never did uh, mention that in the beginning. We got derailed by all of uh, Jonah's employers. So uh, check it out. Go to my uh, Facebook feed, or I'm sorry, my Twitter feed, Jonah's Twitter feed, whatever. You can see the Periscope of the Tim Graham Show in all its glory. The Tim Graham Show is brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555 or see him on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. This is Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic. Um, phone lines, they're open. 270-1270, you want to call in and tell us whether or not LaShawn McCoy owes us, the media, anything? If he owes the fans anything? Eric Turner from Cover One, my brother at The Athletic, he tweets back, as part of the media, I don't care. As a fan, I don't care. If it's in the contract, which it likely is, he should honor it. If he doesn't honor it, the team should care. If they don't care, on to the Jets. Fair. Should the media care, Mike? I mean, you're in charge. You're the uh, Buffalo chapter ch- uh, president. Of the Pro Football Writers Association. Should the media care? Yeah, should... Uh, well, how about this? I, I'm i kind of torn on it because on a personal level, I don't care if he talks or not. I mean, it's not... I don't... I'm just not going to get worked up over it. By the same token, and it's your responsibility as the chapter president for the Pro Football Writers Association, you, you have to care because you need to keep score of this stuff... So, Because if you let this one go, and then all of a sudden, three weeks from now, there's seven players in the locker room that aren't talking. Right. And it used to be that way in other markets. Now, when I covered the AFC East for ESPN, and I was familiar with four different locker rooms, the one thing that struck me was at one time I was visiting the Patriots. And um, I inform- I was the one who informed them, their beat writers, that you're only allowed to have two people who speak once a week. And at the time, the Patriots had, I think, six people who spoke once a week. It was Tom Brady, Vince Wilfork, um, Randy Moss, 
Wes Welker. I think Rodney Harrison was still on the team. Maybe not. I don't know. But there were yeah. like a ton of guys who spoke only once a week. And, and they were stunned. I remember yeah. Ian Rappaport, who was working at the Boston Herald at the time, said, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, look in the PFWA guidelines. And so then they made Randy Moss talk a couple of weeks later. Um, then the, the Patriots writers started pushing it and saying, oh, wait, the guidelines say this. And if you so that's what happens if you don't enforce the guidelines is it gets looser and looser and more people don't talk and feel emboldened by. Uh, and, and there's a, big, a bigger division, I think, because then they feel like the, I don't owe the media anything. Right. I think the media should care naturally because it's part of our jobs. I mean, it's it's what we do. So obviously from a baseline level, that's what we should care about, whether you're writing about it or not. I mean, you might not use a single quote from what might be said, but the principle of being able to ask the questions is pretty basic. Um, from a fan's perspective, like I said before, if you're paying money to watch this team, then in a way you're a stakeholder in the team. Um, you know, you should be able to have some sort of voice or. And what if you're paying to watch this team and don't care what you should, then that's the, the season ticket holder or the fan saying, I spend my money on this and I don't care. I don't need to hear from him. I just want him to score touchdowns. And I'm not saying that that's right or wrong, but that is the sentiment out there. Right. Much like as all that I was talking about earlier in the show, they don't want to hear us bitching and moaning about our hotel room right. or the fact that we have a long security line to get into the stadium or that our parking pass is, is too uh, far away from the visiting stadium or that our flight's delayed. They don't want to hear about any of that. They don't want to hear about our troubles uh, they just want to flip the game on on Sunday and and hope that their players are happy and the media is not mean to them, right? And I think a lot of this logic is not always consistent between, admittedly, something much more serious and which much more weight politics. Let's say there's a lot of people who might say, um, you who might be rooting on the media, for instance, against. Donald Trump or against any other politician, Chris Collins, whoever, like they want that that person to talk and uh, come out and and be uh, accountable for for what they do or what they say. But then when it comes to football players or athletes in general who they admire and have a different perspective towards, well, then it's like, well, you know, they don't need to hold them accountable. We just want to make sure, you know, no, don't be mean, don't be mean to that player now. It's it's a double standard. Again, it's two different realms. One is, um, you know, one is politics, and, and in some cases, life and death, and very important issues. The NFL is not life and death, but uh, again, if you are paying money, and a lot of money in some cases, you should be able to hear from the team on the field, and I think the NFL is very respective of that. Um. You know they they realize that it's entertainment to some extent. It is sport, but it's also entertainment. And the publicity and the fact that we're on the airwaves talking about it right now is exactly what they want. It's better than being the AAF or some upstart football league, which is not going to have a whole lot of media covering it. You know, it reminds me when you mentioned the politics aspect of it, and uh, you know what was it, a year or two ago, I went to Washington, D.C. and did a story Mm -hmm. on Michael Caputo, who's the uh, former um, campaign advisor to Donald Trump back during the the presidential election in 
2016. And uh, he was going to talk to the House Intelligence Committee uh, as part of the Russia investigation. And I went there to chronicle a local man going into the mall, you know, going into the big government machine and facing all these people who, you know, this is a big political story. And we'll look back on this 20, 30 years from now as one of the the biggest political uh, stories of our lifetime. Uh, or of uh, many generations, perhaps, and certainly of the Trump presidency, I think, when it's all said and done. Um, So I check in at the Capitol, into the press room, where they handle credentials, and I filled out my form, and I told them why I was was there. And I'm thinking to myself at the time, if this were the NFL, I would have had to have called a week or, you know, at least days in advance. Well, I didn't, because this is how you do it there. It's fine. You show up, you identify yourself. Um, I think I may have had to fax something over the day before, something like that. Nothing, but nothing crazy. Like with a real fax machine? Yeah, I think I did. I think I, well, it was, I did it through my laptop. And, uh, and so I checked in and the guy is uh, handing me my uh, pass, which was a sticker that I put on my suit coat. And, uh, he says, you see, all right, now you have access to everywhere in the Capitol, if you see a sign that says restricted access, and I'm thinking, all right, like he says, you can go there. <laughs> <laughs> and I and he says, if you see a sign that says staff only, and I'm thinking, all right, well, he says, you can go there. <laughs> he says the only thing you can do is if it's like top, there was some level. And so everywhere I looked, I could go. And I'm walking past, and this is, you know, there's the attorney generals or whatever. I mean, there are all these different signs. Maybe not the attorney, maybe I'm speaking, I'm pulling phrases on but i see adam schiff who is on the committee the intelligence committee and he's about to be the senior ranking member of the intelligence committee now that the democrats have taken over the house and he's walking down the hall and i know he's on the committee uh do you have a minute uh yeah like on the record like here's a guy like one of the most powerful men in the world just walking around the capitol i can go wherever i want practically everywhere but into the actual hearing the confidential hearing, I could go wherever I wanted. Uh, but at the Bills facility, we're restricted to this, you know, 20 foot by 20 foot room. And you get to talk to LaShawn McCoy once a week if he feels like talking. Uh, but it's just amazing to me that, you know, the the importance of sports that, uh, you know, that people put their restrictions on whether or not somebody's supposed to talk or whether or not you're owed anything. Now, maybe that you can flip that and say, well, of course, these people are in way more important roles and we are owed answers from them. They're voted on by the people and they're getting paid by the taxpayer and all this other stuff. They have a lot more self-interest to talk to the media in a lot of cases. The NFL is a private entity. I mean, nobody can walk around ESPN's headquarters in Bristol or the Athletics headquarters in San Francisco no, or but I'm the just... Buffalo News. Like nobody can do that. So, and that's that's the point that's brought up to me, been brought up to me by people on the other side of this. Sometimes it's like, well, your company's no different. You know, you might not have access here, but you may not, you don't really have access. Journalists wouldn't have access at your location either. Is kind of the point, and it's valid. Yeah, and that's where it comes down to the investment that people make, and it's not just the tickets; it's the jerseys and the hats, and right. know, all of the things that people spend their money on. That go to those players eventually. Mm-hmm. That go to those owners, and that's why the NFL and the NFL Players Association have hammered out this deal, and they feel that they need media access, and it's required. 
So, yes, it's required of LaShawn McCoy to speak at least once a week and after games. He hasn't been doing that. Is he owed or are we owed that? Well, that's a conversation I'm willing to have, but he's contractually obligated to do it. There's also the argument, and I don't know if this is the case in the Bills locker room with LaShawn McCoy right now specifically, but overall, one of the reasons every player has to talk is so that it's, you know, what's the word, not democratic, but so it's equal. So it's not just the Lorenzo Alexander who's a nice guy that can't say no. Every player that plays has to stand up and face the media so that it doesn't become an issue amongst the players of who handles this burden. Or what it'll turn into, and then we're going to hit the break here, but what it'll turn into is players having to, being forced to speak for LaShawn McCoy, and it's not fair right. to them. You know, they're, they're, if they're supposed, if they're being tasked with answering questions about why the run game can't get going or why LaShawn McCoy is averaging one yard per carry over the last three games, uh, and he's not there to answer for it himself because Nathan Peterman's there to answer for every interception he throws. Uh, and, um, Zay Jones, as much problem as he had with his drops all last season as a rookie and you know his ups and downs, he's there. He talks after every game. Lorenzo Alexander does. Jerry Hughes does. And when you're LaShawn McCoy, you're, what is he, the second or third highest paid player on the team? The Depends team's how you biggest star. It, but, yeah, he's like up An there. offensive captain. I mean, when you start making the list of the players that should speak, he's pretty high at the, near the top of that list. Yeah, and that's why he's always done it on Wednesdays all the time. And I, I think, again, it should be mentioned that He's always talked like he's always been pretty good yeah, with the yeah, media. He's not, for he's not a surly he's guy. Here. He's not a bad guy. It's just this is just something he's going through, and uh, it seems as though it's uh, you know it's 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 a little thing. It's a little thing. It's a thing and to we, talk and about we in don't, November and we, two and seventeen. We don't know why he's doing this, and that's right. where it comes back to the mystery. And maybe we're making more of it than it should be, but that's not necessarily our fault because we don't know why he's not talking did he ask for a trade and he didn't get it is he upset with management is he upset with brian dable i don't know is he upset with his offensive line or is he just upset with himself uh, you're listening to the tim graham show brought to you by viola cummings and Lindsay, your workers compensation and personal injury attorneys call 285-9555 visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com this is the tim graham show sports radio 1270 the fan the tim graham show tim graham Welcome to the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. They're going to pimp me. Long I love sausage. Thank you, Tim. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber. On Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. I did old, uh, some poll uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. The Tim Graham Show. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. My favorite part of that uh, bumper uh, when I say I diddled some poll over the weekend is, is you chiming in right. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> let me tell you a quick story about that. So I was board hopping over at 103, right, our sister station, and I was cutting that promo the one day, and I had your, the clip of just you saying that. And I was recording James, who does the midday show, and uh, he goes, all right, um, I'm going to be back in a minute. So I had to record and play his next break. I played the next break. Guess what I hit? I diddled some poll this afternoon or this weekend, and I pulled it down real quick, and I go over to his, and it was just, you know, complete silence. But I had you on 103.3 The Edge at one point, like, during the summer, saying, finally, I diddled some poll. And he I goes, what was that? Oh my God. It was, I was, I had a heart attack. 
Well, if it can air on Sports Radio <laughs> The Fan, it can air on 1033 The Edge. It's so weird. It was like coming out of Pearl Jam, and you're like, I diddled some pole this weekend. <laughs> right. And but it's then it's like, you, and you know. going, and then you add it on right. <laughs> you remember the original context of why I you don't. said that? Yeah, I, don't I do not. Uh, Joe Licata's pole, I believe. <laughs> what me? pole? Remember, <laughs> remember Joe put up a, I think it was a poll about either the quarterbacks or oh, the, somehow. P-O-L-L. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that I remember. I know it has to be a poll yeah, of some kind, like you, a, but I don't regard. remember what. Yeah. I felt bad on Sunday. I was a little bit in rough shape after Saturday night. And generally, when I'm walking, when I park at the game, you know, we're in the field house lot. It's probably a quarter mile walk over to the press entrance, and you're walking through some tailgating. So generally, I just keep my head down. And I was arriving a little bit later. It was probably 10, 10 30. You know, people have had a few. A few uh, pops by then, and so I'm getting out of my car, and I hear somebody say like, "Hey, Rodak," and I just kind of kept like my head down and didn't really want to look up or acknowledge them. I just kind of said like, "Hi," and I kept walking. You're like a, you're a beaten dog. <laughs> my tail between I, your legs. Been, you, you peed a little bit. I've been trained not to engage people. That's you peed kind your of pants. My, that's my strategy. I don't like to. I don't want to cause any trouble. So then I kind of see out of the corner of my eye. There's somebody in sunglasses and like. Bill's gear and like a, a winter hat, like following me, and so I I kind of kept walking. Like I wasn't sure who it was. I thought like he was harassing me, and he he keeps saying like oh, like Rodak, like Rodak, why are you blowing me off? And I was like, ah, oh, you know, sorry. And I I stopped for a second. I realized, damn, it's Joe Licata, <laughs> <laughs> old co-host of the show. And I was like, ah, oh, crap. And <laughs> running away from him. Right, I felt bad, and so. You know, me and Joe had a good little talk, and I was just kind of playing it off that I was Joe just hung over and <laughs> didn't realize what was going on. I just didn't recognize him and didn't recognize his voice right away. You thought you were getting accosted. I thought I was getting Jim accosted. And just... did, he, did he offer you a beer? No. He um, offered me a beer. No, well, apparently I'm not cool enough. I turned it down. Congratulated him on work. Timon's win. Too many. And um, went on my merry way, but I felt terrible for the next 15 minutes of my life. Mm-hmm. The Tim Graham Show is brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555. Catch him on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. The big crooked. You th- What do you think I'll- it's like, Jonah? Jonah Bronstein of the Buffalo News and several other establishments. Jonah, what do you think it's like being Mike Rodak in those moments? I think we just got a glimpse of Mike. Just in that t- the time that he takes the keys out of the ignition at the stadium, and the dr- is the dread. He's probably thinking, "Well, here we go. I'm going to be out in in general public." Uh, I, I think of it as like him just cloaking himself in this like force field where he can't feel any of the. I have energy. a seven minute walk. I try to flip my credential over so nobody can read my name and see who I am. Because usually there's fans walking both ways, so they can see you head on. Like, I, I plan these things out. It's like when I walk, and again, the Bills are the only stadium in the NFL that you have to walk outside to get to the locker room and through the general population. And I open that door at the bottom of those stairs, and I know for the next 35 seconds that there's a decent chance I'm going to get harassed and that's also a time when i like to turn my credential over or i like cover it with my code or something to try to be more incognito but it's tough to be incognito when you're six foot four doofus walking through the uh the 
the concourse of the stadium. Agreed. It reminds what, what, wearing me of, a, a suit. What comments do you hear? Well, I'll tell you one. So hey, Runick, Runick, is this? Uh, so this is like <laughs> your second year on the Bills, and I've deli- I've uh, developed a friendship with Mike at that time, and kind of you know taking him. You know, uh, not under my wing. I don't want to be so presumptuous as to say that, but I'm like, I know that he's getting a hard time from fans. Fans don't like him automatically. He's from Boston, and they just have pegged him as a Patriots guy. And um, and so I remember packing up out of the press box for an early game. I don't know if it was preseason. No, or I was the there opener. for this. This was, was this? the opener. It was Rex's first game. They beat the Colts. And I said, all right, Mike, you're coming with me. And I'm saying, if anybody says anything, they're going to get it from me. Let's go. And Mike was kind of like dreading the walk. And um, I'm like, come on, let's go. And I was walking first, and I come out of the staircase that we take out of the press box. And we get out into that little area where we're now with the fans. There's a stretch of about, I don't know, 50 yards where you're with the fans. And against and the grain. We against, like right yeah, and we're them. going yeah. against the grain. The fans are leaving as we're heading towards what used to be the old executive uh, uh tower there executive offices and so from behind me way behind me i hear rodak's uh f word and all i could do is laugh because there's nothing i can do at this point the guy is so far behind me and also mike's in between me and this guy i'm not in between anybody so i'm just like that's tough break mike (laughs) oh that's brutal i don't have any rooting interests in these games my only rooting interest is that the game is over by the start of the fourth quarter most of the fans are already gone by the time i have to make that walk those are generally the best games but i was ready to go i was gonna be mike's buddy and i was like anybody says anything they're gonna have to i'm gonna I'm, right I'm going to say something, but the way it, the, the crowd was so big and they happened so far away, I'm just like, hey, there's nothing. I would have to go running to go catch up with this guy. And I'm like, ah, I just didn't have my... Hey, what are you going to do? <laughs> right. I was I told... I wasn't that interested. I was told by somebody who works for the Bills that this past Sunday against the Bears, there was a fan outside the press box, and luckily the press box is guarded, but there was a fan standing outside of the door yelling, Rodak... Are you in there? And apparently it was extended. Like it happened for several minutes on end. Which uh, I wish I could be out there to take a video, but I think that would have only provoked the situation and not, it couldn't have been a fly on the wall. Oh my God. So Jonah Bronstein, he went to the UB doubleheader yesterday, and we were talking during the first hour about. How disappointing it's been that as great as things have been with uh, UB football and the excitement surrounding the basketball program and top 25 status is very much a legitimate possibility. Yeah, they getting votes and they'll might not crack it, but they're getting closer and closer every week. What do you think the reality of the situation is? If this can, let's say, all right, UB can't be 9-1 and one every year. Uh, in football. But let's say that they put together a competitive team in which they challenge for the division title or uh, they produce an NFL player or two every year, the types of things that keep people interested in a mid-major college football program. And even if the basketball program and NATO sticks around for a few more seasons, what's just your sense as to what Western New York would become in terms of a college sports area. Is that possible? Is it just because the Bills and Sabres are in town that people view UB as too minor league to embrace? Yeah, I think that's it. I, I, I'd like to think that it could grow, but if it's not happening right now, 
if there isn't a huge surge in basketball season ticket sales, and they probably have gone up, but if there isn't a huge and they're selling out the building every night after the season they had last year and being expected to be just as good or better this year, and I'm never the type, and there's others on other radio shows and, and elsewhere in the media that will kind of shame you into supporting UB. Get out there. This team deserves your support. You need to go see these players before the, you were in the NFL. You missed out on Khalil Mack. Don't miss out on Tyree Jackson and Anthony Johnson. I'm not going to tell any fan to do that. You do what you want. But if that didn't get people out to some of these games, and they had one big crowd against Army. I think there was a lot of Army fans. And Khalil Mack being so close in the rearview mirror, you could at least spin that into, imagine, don't you regret not seeing Khalil Mack? And well, if right. so, then get out and see but these guys. Apparently not, because it didn't really drive attendance all that much this year. There was a lot of preseason hype, and they lived up to the hype, and they won. Well, they've won all but one game, and that was a home game, but they've won all but one of their home games. Now, I understand the weather. Last week they played on a Tuesday night after the Bills Monday night, and the Sabres were also home. The weather was miserable last night. I don't really know how anybody could have been enjoyed themselves watching that game. I think a lot of people that were big UB fans left at halftime because it was tough to withstand that for a whole game especially if you went to the basketball game before that but yeah I think uh, there's just only so much energy fans can give to their sporting interests and the Bills soak up most of that and the Sabres soak up a lot of it basketball is a little different because there is no NBA team if you're a big basketball fan you could get into this UB run that they're on, men and women, and they're, you know UB plays West Virginia. What do you hear Friday. about season tickets or anything like I that? I haven't asked, but I don't get a sense from just looking at the crowds. Uh, I mean, you know, it's not a big game against St. Francis, but I don't really think season tickets have gone up that much. Maybe they have. You know, UB filled the building for a few games toward the end of last year. When it gets to February and March, they, especially when the Sabres are struggling, it became the biggest game in town, and they would get about five or 6,000 people in there. A lot of them were students. But I just didn't feel the buzz around town until they make the tournament and Selection Sunday comes out, and then all of a sudden you go into different bars and you see everybody watching the UB game and everybody's very proud of them. And that could happen with UB football going to a bowl game, but they're not going to go to one of the biggest bowl games, and they're right. not going to be – and that's what everybody wants. So when, you, when you talk to them about UB, really any of the colleges – the conversation quickly turns to, well, how much bigger can this get? You know, can they go, can they, it used to be, can they get an at-large bid? Can they win an NCAA game? Now it's like, can they go to the Sweet 16? Can they go to the Final Four? Which is great, but there's nobody, or I shouldn't say there's nobody, but there isn't a real sense of let's enjoy what's going on right now, being the best team in the MAC, dominating the MAC, which Buffalo didn't do for a long time when it joined that program in a lot of sports. Now it probably is the best overall program in the Mid-American Conference. From a football standpoint, Jonah, this is something I think is uh, fascinating or, hell, maybe it's ironic. Uh, the word ironic is always often misused, but I know that the former athletic director, Alan Green, who's now at Auburn, uh, he was a big believer that building a field house for UB would be the best thing for it because it would help with recruiting and help sustain a perennial winner. And not necessarily a championship team, but just a team that can be competitive in the Mid-American Conference because UB was sorely lacking compared to other Mid-American Conference uh, uh, programs when it came to its facilities. But here, as this field house is being built, UB is arguably recruiting better than it right. ever has been. 
and can its recruiting really get any better with this field house? Probably not. But is it is the recruiting affected by the field? Yeah, house? in a sense, other schools. No, I mean can these guys, the, the really good players that are on this team right now, are going to be gone before they have a chance to do anything in this field house. Really, well, the guys that are recruiting now though won't be. Well, know. true, but what I'm saying is, is that I, they've right. gotten really good players without the field house. True, and so yeah, I think it's. It's not going to recruit fans, which is what they need. Right, and that's the thing, is that my thought all along was to do something with that stadium, whether it's digging down into the earth, which is one of the ways that you can improve the sight lines in that stadium, doing something to invest in that stadium to get people to want to come and attend a game because it's an enjoyable experience. As of right now, it's you might as well be... You know, watching the game through binoculars. Well, and that's the one. Well, that's, regardless of where you sit, that's a way they missed the mark with this field house. The original design had an indoor track, and that might have set the path for getting rid of the outdoor track and making the stadium a better place to watch the game. Now it would put more seats in a stadium that doesn't fill up already, but that's neither here nor there. But they're building the field house. It's what they want for the football program, but it doesn't have everything that they originally planned, that track being part of it, and so they're not going to get rid of the outdoor track. They're not going to renovate UB Stadium, which is probably what they need to grow this program. But I think, as somebody who worked there a long time ago said, we're not going to make this stadium bigger with more seats until we're filling all of these seats. And in fact, there's less seats now. That field house took away a whole north end zone. They say capacity is the same because of standing room only, I don't see these games where every seat's full and they have 6,000 people standing on the track watching the game. Yeah, who who cares about the end zone seating? I mean, who, nobody ever sat out there anyway. Well, the, the other one filled up for this game against Army when they pretty much filled the building, but there was a lot of Army fans, and that was the perfect scenario for UB. They were 4-0. and It was a Saturday afternoon. The weather was nice. They had that buzz that, you know, this might be a special UB team. That is the one game this year where it does seem like the hype led to – a big crowd, but I remember Army was here three, four Army years ago. Army always draws a yes. nice crowd, and and when the all next the service week, academies do the next week when there were ten, twelve thousand less people, you know you got to think those were maybe ten thousand Army fans helping pack that house for sure. Hey, here's something you may not know: the Tim Graham Show is brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call two eight five nine five 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 or visit them on the web at violacummingsandlindsay.com. Let me say that again. I did it. I, I'll do it once an episode. Visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. No ampersand in there. No and, no nothing. Hmm. Just violacummingslindsay.com. Lindsay with an A, by the way. The Tim Graham Show. This is another thing you may not know, but the Tim Graham Show is right here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. The Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Tim Graham. I'll say it right to face. I'll say it right to his face in cursive. He knows if he comes over, I'll scissor kick his gizzard and break his karate artery. We ain't supposed to have livestock in this neighborhood, yet you married a sea cow. The Tim Graham Show. Now on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. And on The Fan's app. Free to download in the App Store. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285 9555. Visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. Here with the big crooked, Mike Rodak, my co-host from ESPN.com, Jonah Bronstein, handling things uh, for Periscope and uh, giving us his thoughts on UB. Maybe we'll get into some NBA here, Jonah. You ready for some of that? 
All right. Always ready. Bobby Rosati, he's diddling the knobs, as he always does. Uh, Joel Staniszewski is going to be on the line from Vegas to talk about the Bills from a betting standpoint. We got into it a little bit last week. He said to hammer that under. And it, the game did go over, but I still think that the under was the smart play because it should have gone under. I mean, there was some, there was a lot of fluky plays. The, the Bills, Bills should score. The Bills should not under. have scored a touchdown, but it was uh, gifted. Uh, a bunch of penalties kept that drive alive and uh, allowed the Bills to score the touchdown. Their first on thirty-nine drives. Otherwise, we'd be talking about what forty straight heading into this next game. Mm-hmm. Bills' offense has been just terrible I don't know what to think of Brian Dable I don't know if he is to blame for this uh, or if he's so shorthanded that he has been unable to do whatever he wants to do he did mention that uh, when I asked him about it a couple of weeks ago his um, his complement of plays that he intended to run when he first became the Bills offensive coordinator and his you know, his dreams of what his this offense could be is that it's everything stunted because from week to week He's putting in plays that, rather than expand the playbook, have to maybe lessen it, limit it for a guy like Derek Anderson, who knows the terminology, but needs to have a very limited number of plays as opposed to opening it up. And by this time of the season, you should be firing on all cylinders and have everything at your disposal. But, well, the Bills just don't have the the talent to be able to do that. They and Josh Allen and Nathan Peterman are two entirely different quarterbacks, so you got to think they're using a different playbook for different weeks, depending on who's starting. And you can see some of his ideas, for lack of a better word, come up. You know, there was that play early in the season where it's like a alley oop sort of thing, where the quarterback gets the snap, oh, that little and tap pass, tap, yeah, tap. I pass. didn't like that at all, but you can see like there's some depth to the playbook for better or worse and it's popped up here and there you know they they show the wildcat beginning of the patriots game even last week they had no huddle the first drive of the game for nathan peterman and it's like we're all right now those are wrinkles those are wrinkles Wrinkles. and you're right they are trying different things and that's fine but to me that doesn't give me any kind of sense as to what this offense is supposed to be when you see the tap pass or you know yeah it's it's gimmicky it's gimmicky um but you get gimmicky like that when you don't have the personnel. You're does. desperate. Right. Yeah, it's desperation. They're trying to find a way to catch the Patriots off guard, which it's hard to blame them in that case. Um, I, look, I, I've said this for, for weeks. I've been saying this for weeks, is that the running game is a bigger problem than it has been advertised to be. And, and it did become a story today. It was asked several questions were asked of Sean McDermott about LaShawn McCoy, but that's arguably and this is before LaShawn McCoy did not speak to the media so it's not as though because I can I can go a couple steps ahead of the fans or the reaction where (laughs) the media is not badgering LaShawn McCoy because or they're not badgering uh, McDermott about McCoy because McCoy is not talking the questions were before we knew that LaShawn McCoy wasn't going to talk on his normal day Right. Which today is when he, we you would assume he's supposed to talk today. But weren't there questions about how do you feel that LaShawn McCoy is not talking to the media and what did McDermott say? That was you know? asked to McDermott on Monday. It was asked again today as well, and McDermott said I talked about it on Monday. Um, look, just getting back to my point, though, I, I think— No, we're on a different point now. This is Radio well, Duggernaut. We've moved forward. My point is it reminds me of C.J. Spiller. 
in back in 2014, which a lot of Bills fans remember, obviously, the good years with Spiller. Very dynamic sort of playmaker out of the backfield. He can, you know, the Fitzpatrick screen passes and uh, some of the quick pitches, and you put him out in space, and he makes plays, and he was very good in Chan Gailey's offense. Then Doug Marone comes in. 2013, he was banged up a lot. 2014, he was healthier, and he just didn't have it anymore. And he was running towards the sideline every play, couldn't turn the corner, couldn't make a guy miss outside, would get negative yards. It seemed like half the time. Obviously, it wasn't quite that much, but you could tell something was wrong and, and something was seriously sliding or he was losing something at that point in his career, which is an earlier point in his career than LaShawn McCoy is at now. And you just see some of those similar plays. And C.J. Spiller never got it back. He bounced around with the Chiefs and the Saints and never was the same player that he was before. Uh, so that would be my fear for LaShawn McCoy as a Bills fan would be, is this a sign of him losing it? And there does seem to be some debate among fans or media or whatever that, you know, this is not LaShawn McCoy's problem at all. Roto World the other day. How do we know? It's no fault of his own. There's no way for us to know, really. uh, Sean McDermott even said today that... Chris Ivory's finding ways to gain yards. Right, and and that's that was part of the problem. Sean McDermott said LaShawn McCoy's not hitting holes when there are holes, and there's also times when the Bills are not creating holes, and I think that's, that's very true. You know, you watch... One of his first runs is on on Sunday. There's there's some room there. I mean, there's not anybody in the backfield. There's probably a yard of push or so in front of him, and he's sort of ducking and diving left and right and not really decisively finding his way, which has always been his playing style. He's not the sort of guy who's just going to run straight forward and hit the hole and, and get as many yards as he can. He's trying to make a play. For the record. But he's not. In those three games, with three games, we've been talking about it, three games for LaShawn McCoy, 24 carries, 24 yards. Right. Don't want to leave anything out. Let's tell the whole picture. He also has 10 catches for 101 yards. Right. But Chris Ivory, in those three games, 16 carries for 81 yards. That's a 5.1-yard average. Against New England, six carries for 34 yards. That's a 5.7-yard average. And against Chicago, seven carries for 36 yards. That's a 5.1-yard average. So, um, again, limited carries. There are situational runs. You know, maybe it's third and whatever. I mean, I'm not going to go back and look at every specific run. Um, But he is averaging over five yards a carry, probably about 5.3 when you add them all together per carry. And he does have some catches. He also has uh, seven for... 56 yards so much better production from chris ivory and he's than you're getting around. from Lashawn mccoy the start of the season the first five or six at weeks, the same age right at the same age he's turning around this season uh but at the start chris ivory was among the least efficient runners in the league he was down towards the bottom in the yards per carry in the last three weeks as you mentioned 5.2 yards average over those three weeks and part of it is his running style. If this offensive line is not creating space, he'll sort of create it himself. He just runs straight forward and runs into people, and quite frankly, that's how he got hurt uh, on and Sunday. McCoy is not ever going to do that. No, and you see a lot more of it from McCoy. I mean, you saw this the last couple of years, too. It seemed like you see more of it where he'll kind of run up, he'll hit the line, he won't have a hole, and he'll sort of turn, and he'll put his back towards the offensive line and just fall backwards into the line and that's one of the things he's always told me like I've asked him you know how long do you think you can play and uh you know do you think you're declining or whatever and he always says well I take fewer hits than most running backs because of my running style and that's what I think he's talking about 
is, is how he doesn't take those front head-on hits where he's you know he's trying to dive or or fall into hits instead or just go to the ground. You see a lot more of that too from LaShawn McCoy where he's just going to the ground. Uh which you know, maybe the ribs are still bothering him. That's just a a, a theory. Uh who knows? Or he's just he's not able to bounce out the way that he used to be and get outside and make guys miss in space. Well he wasn't doing that before his ribs. Exactly. He wasn't and that's the other part of it. you know First couple games this season, he wasn't performing that well either. And you can look back at the second half of last year, especially the first half. First half, he was very bad last year. He had a couple good games going on, but then there would also be a few games where it's just not there. So he's averaged, you know, one yard per carry over the last three. You started to see on Sunday the Bills dialing back his usage a little bit. I think, you know, part of the second quarter, he barely played, and you saw Chris Ivory getting in there more, and then. The problem is Ivory got hurt. That goal line stand, the Bills trying to score their first touchdown, and he dives and injures his shoulder, ends up going to the hospital. He went to ECMC because he wasn't feeling well and uh, was evaluated for internal injuries. This is what Sean McDermott said, and then was ended up uh, being cleared. Uh, but he was back at practice. That's alarming. That could be something as simple as sometimes you get hurt and it makes you nauseous. Right. I mean, that could have been that. They just needed to – he threw up and you need to check it out. So Chris Ivory was – feeling sick to his stomach. And you mentioned the Chris Ivory revenge game. He was not doing anything today. He was in a non-contact jersey. He was listed as, I believe, did not practice. I should double-check that. But uh, was off to the side with the strength and conditioning staff. Uh, it was over with Derek Anderson, who probably won't play this week, and also with Charles Clay, who definitely won't play this week, uh, and was just doing sort of conditioning agility drills. Uh, I, I would guess at this point, and let me just double check, yes, did not practice today for Chris Ivory. I would be surprised if he plays Sunday for the Bills, which would leave them with only LaShawn McCoy and Marcus Murphy on the 53-man roster. And Pat DeMarco. And Pat DeMarco is a fullback. My guess would be in that situation, the Bills would consider bringing up Keith Ford from the practice squad um, and and make some other roster moves somewhere else on, on, on the team. Terrell Pryor. A little more gadgetry, perhaps. Terrell Pryor revenge that. game. Yes. Yeah, there's that. Ooh, uh, you know what? I've changed my mind. I'm going to this game now. Vlad, I just remembered the Pryor. revenge game. Yes. We've had a few of those, but that's up there. All right. We're going to hear from Joel Staniszewski on the line from Vegas uh, right after this break uh, so we can uh, get into the betting uh, view of the uh, Buffalo Bills as we enter the second half of the season, Uh, how the change in quarterback from Sam Darnold to Josh McCown will affect the line. And taking a look at, well, it certainly looks as though Nathan Peterman is going to be the starter for the Bills, uh, what that does for the betting, and maybe it creates some value uh, for the Bills heading into this game. Uh, this is the Tim Graham Show, which is brought to you by, by Viola. Mm, uh, Tim Graham Show is brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay. You workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys, call 285 Visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. This is the Tim Graham Show. Sports Radio 1270, The Fan.